0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Legal Brief. I am here with my executive producer, Lauren Mincer Clark, and we have some huge updates already this week. Some of the cases that we've been we do, talking, yes, they have major, a major movement. In mm-hmm. so we wanted to pop right on and cover this because all of these issues are going to continue to unfold ASAP. So, we want to get to. Yeah. That.
1: Absolutely. Well, and the first one we we have to talk about right away because it happened today. Um, The judge has now denied Prince Andrew's motion to dismiss the sexual uh, the civil sexual assault lawsuit that was against him, which you actually thought was going to happen. So can you kind of tell us what this means and kind of what is going to happen now?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So this was a big decision, and we broke down what Prince Andrew was asking for last week. So just a reminder, Virginia Gouffray is alleging that Prince Andrew sexually abused her when she was a minor. Now, this is all interlinked with Jeffrey Epstein. As we know, the allegations against Epstein was that he sexually trafficked underage girls not only— uh, to abuse them himself, but actually to other people in his circle, Prince Andrew being one of those people, and Virginia mm-hmm. a civil lawsuit against Prince Andrew, uh, and, and this this was recent, and so all of this was playing out under the, this all was happening with the trial of Ghislaine Maxwell in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, Virginia Gouffre, she was not a witness in that case. So just to clarify, right, the, the first thing is that the case against Prince Andrew is civil. She's alleged mm-hmm. sexual abuse against him. He said this case should be dismissed on three arguments. He argued that Gouffre's complaint did not have sufficient specificity. So basically she didn't say what her allegations were in a specific enough way against him. He said complaint should be dismissed on that argument. He then argued that the law that she was bringing the case under, which is called the Child Victims Act in New York, was unconstitutional. And then his third argument was that Gouffre and Epstein entered into a settlement agreement back in 2009 and that they settled the case, Relating to his sexual abuse in the state of Florida, this is the abuse by Jeffrey Epstein against Gouffre for $500,000. Now, Prince Andrew argued that this settlement agreement between Gouffre and Epstein barred her ability to bring a case against him. And the whole case, this entire statement, was based on the language in that settlement agreement. So the language and settlement agreement said that anybody else who was a potential defendant in that case with that involved Epstein was was uh, was insulated from any claims against them by gouffray And at first, Prince Andrew's camp had come out and said the language in the agreement included the word royalty. So Prince Andrew was specifically Right. Identified I remember that, that, but that wasn't true, Lauren. Once I saw that the language was very (laughs) ambiguous and did not specifically say Prince Andrew and did not specifically say royalty, royalty out of there. So it's just this term of any other potential defendant. So those were the three arguments raised. The judge came out with a 46 page decision today. 46 pages. It was a lot. It was a lot. I
1: was trying to skimp because there's a
0: lot to go in there. It's a lot. Yeah. So that's that's the three mm-hmm. arguments that were raised in the judge, each argument. So as we discussed uh, last week, for those of you who didn't get into the details of the uh, arguments on that on that podcast, but uh, in a nutshell, the first argument was that the complaint didn't have enough specificity to uh, to to be able to move forward in the process. The court said no, the complaint is sufficient to go on to the next steps of litigation, which we, we I knew that was gonna happen. That's a common but, argument that's made, a very hard argument to win. Um and but, all do is have this short complaint. Uh, complaint so hmm. it was enough. Uh, the second argument was that the Child Victims Act, a new statute in New York extending protections for people who were abused as children. Um the, the Prince Andrew argued that it was an unconstitutional statute. That mm-hmm. is the argument that's been raised in many cases under the yeah, statute. Yeah, you
1: said that. Yep, you're very familiar.
0: Yep, very familiar. But every New York and federal court who has heard that argument thus far has denied the argument and said that the, the cases can go on, that the statute passes constitutional muster. Again, that issue could go up on appeal, but not surprising at all, this court followed the current law um, so that's the that's the second argument now the third argument is that is relating to this settlement agreement so the settlement agreement with this vague language that it encompasses anyone who could <laughs> defendant in the case between gouffray and Epstein now this was the one that we were paying attention to because this is the one that the court did not really let us know which way it was going to go. Uh, the mm-hmm. his hands in the context of arguments, he asked questions of both sides and raised issues relating to both sides of the argument. So this one was the one to watch. The court ended up denying the motion. Not surprised. They The court said that. This case can go on. This case is something that can be litigated and is not going to be thrown out at the early stages because it's barred by this agreement and The basis for the decision was exactly what we were talking about. Lauren. The court said this was a super ambiguous term, and the court even criticized the drafting of the agreement. Mm. And said, it really sounds like uh this is kind of poor drafting because it's here. On what the parties were looking for, he actually used the words "riddled with drafting problems and ambiguous." So he said both parties had had ways to interpret the agreement, but that it was so ambiguous that he was not going to throw the case out at this early stage and say that would not move forward. So the court uh, dismissed that argument, and what does that mean? I was going to say, but, but didn't they leave a little bit of
1: opening because they did say they could present the argument as a defense to the case, right?
0: Yes, you're absolutely right, Lauren. So what Prince Andrew was looking to do with these three arguments that we just laid out was to get the case dismissed right now. The case is over. Mm -hmm. Keep in mind, it's the very, very beginning of the case. It's the onset of a civil litigation. The complaint was just filed. Prince Andrew said, court, you don't even have to look at this any further. This case should be dismissed right now. We don't even go to step two. We don't do discovery. We don't do depositions. We do nothing. This case is dead on arrival. The court said, nope. This this decision means that this case is going to proceed into litigation. That means that the next steps: exchanging paper discovery, exchanging photographs, exchanging whatever other evidence might be out there, taking depositions, people testifying under oath. And that can all lead up to the, the last step in any location, which is potentially a trial. Um, by the way, Lauren, I like I love it. you know what now <laughs> <laughs> <Yes. laughs>
1: that we're Yes, that's that. There's Rocky. Rocky is saying hello. He is very interested in your story. I'm sorry about
0: that. Yes, I, I know Rocky loves
1: true <laughs> He does. He's his biggest fan. Sitting right here.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway, just so so back to back to this case. It means that the case can go on. What the judge did do is say that the settlement agreement could potentially be used in the litigation so it could be a defense and one of the defenses that the that prince andrew can bring up in the course of litigating so when we get to that point of trial when we get to that point of what's called summary judgment, which means that all of discovery has been completed, all depositions have been done. And there's another opportunity for um, a defendant to say, you know, there's no case here that the settlement agreement could be uh, admitted in the context of those discovery. Mm. Arguments. OK, basically, it could be a jury as to what that language means, and you know what that means, Lauren. That means that there Ooh. will be evidence that uh-huh. is viable in discovery that can relating to <sighs> the, that agreement, which is not which is not really usual. Usually, um, when you're talking about dra- a, a settlement agreement, they're they're confidential, and the only reason they aren't that you can that reality isn't um, upheld is when you're looking to the agreement. So one of the parties is looking to enforce the agreement, and then sometimes that agreement and all of the communications and information that went into the drafting of the agreement can become relevant. So we could get a we could get some insight as, a, as the public into what was the what were the circumstances that led up to the settlement, which would be
1: wow, yeah.
0: Prince Andrew is encompassed in it, but um. Yeah, Prince Andrew, this was a big defeat for him and his legal team. That case goes on. So we're talking about the case moving on, a civil case. What does that mean practically? Well, Well,
1: yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Let's talk about the headline of this.
0: Yeah, the headline is Prince Andrew will have to testify. He will be deposed.
1: Deposition.
0: Yes, and that's being deposed is meaning that you testify under oath. So just everybody understands the civil sector. Civil law is a little bit different than criminal law. Um, criminal law, the ultimate penalty is liberty, right? So it's mm-hmm. what he is going to be in jail. Civil law is about monetary relief um, and, and damages relating to somebody's an act that that, that they were wronged, and the standards of proof are different. So, in a criminal case, it's beyond a reasonable doubt. In a civil case, it's called preponderance of the evidence. It means you fifty-one percent believe that the plaintiff is uh, is that the and that the plaintiff has a case. So, that's, standards that's, are very different. The standards are very different. So, um, but the what needs to be proven here is that there was sexual abuse. Okay, so that's yeah, mm-hmm. and. In, in doing so, this means that the defense team is going to call Prince Andrew as a witness. I mean, he's the primary witness. He is the accused. So right. he'll be in federal court, depositions in a civil case are seven hours, Whew, seven a- hours of answering questions. And. By the way, and
1: anything can be, and anything can almost come into this, right? Like we, we can now hear from, about that BBC interview. We're talking anything he's ever said before.
0: Right. So the rules of discovery in a civil case are very, very broad. All you have to do is show that the line of inquiry in a deposition or the discovery you're seeking is relevant. So it's just got to be relevant to the case.
1: Mm. That,
0: that's said in the public sphere and in the public sector is fair game. So that disastrous BBC, that is all fair game. And think about it. I mean, we're talking, we're going back over 10 years to when this allegedly happened. Um, So you're talking about a lot of time passing and a public figure. So whatever statements he has made in the public throughout that time, that's all relevant lines of inquiry for this deposition.
1: And can I ask you one other thing, Uh, because in in relating to this is that, and we just talked about this last week um, from the Ghislaine Maxwell case. Remember, one of the victims came forward later in the week and actually had said that she remembers specifically uh, Virginia Gouffray's story about her meeting Prince Andrew and had details about that. So will something like that also be coming into play now?
0: Absolutely. So that is going to be a witness that the defense will likely call the pro the, the plaintiff could call it too but call the witness too but because that statement made in the media by one of the victims in the Ghislaine Maxwell case that statement corroborates Virginia Gouffre's story so mm-hmm. rest, you're going to have uh you're, you're definitely going to have Virginia Goofry, so she's the plaintiff in this case her they're they're gonna call her as a witness because it's very hard to find corroborating evidence when you're talking about a a, a cause of action that relates to something that happened a long time ago mm. a lot right. of, in that interview, she referenced a cell phone. she's going back to like two thousand and one okay right so is does that still exist more likely than not hey <sighs> right. It's a, it's a whole different um, analysis as to how to to prosecute these cases. And, and the plaintiff does have the obligation of proving their case. The burden is on them to prove their case by a preponderance of the evidence. So she is most certainly going to be called as a witness if she were to testify in the same way as her statement in the media. And you never know, because you get somebody over, under oath and questions come out and cross examination happens. And of course, Absolutely, yeah. There's a lot more to it, so you don't know. But her statement that she made in the media—if that were to come out on the record—that would be evidence in support of Virginia Gouffre's account. Mm-hmm. Of- Rest assured, she's going to be called as a witness. I mean, the defense lawyer came out and said we have a couple of ideas of who we're going to call because we want people who are going to testify about Prince Andrew, remember in any case when you're posturing for trial credibility, character those are all factors what comes into a civil case is different it's a much broader net so mm-hmm. you can talk about credibility you can talk about character you can ask about prior legal issues you have, there, there's a lot more that uh, can than, can come out in the discovery process than in a criminal case so the defense team has actually come, uh, came out and said that one of the people they're looking to possibly call as a witness is Megan Markle. Yeah, I saw that. What? Yeah. So because she's a U.S. resident, it's a little mm-hmm. bit easier to have to subpoena her for a deposition. And the idea and the way that the defense is posturing the argument to call her as a witness is that she was a member of the inner circle, uh, and and she has personal knowledge of Prince Andrew. So interesting. Wow. Quiz. As a defense lawyer, I it doesn't, it doesn't matter who the defendant is. I would tell you as a defense lawyer, I would probably make a lot of arguments about why her testimony and seeking her testimony is irrelevant to the allegation. <laughs> and when this allegedly, when these alleged acts happened, we're talking about before Megan Markle <laughs> was part of, she was, she probably wasn't at so, right, right. You know, yes. A different time in her life. Right. So, A lot of arguments that it's irrelevant. You know, I would if I were the defense lawyer in that case, I would say this is for the sole purpose of inflaming, uh, you know, the media and just to call attention to the case. There's no relevant or or, or there's no purpose in having her testify. But it's interesting. Hey, right. So, Acts. The argument could be made that makes her testimony relevant. Um, and, you know, other people in his camp, especially those that have been in his circle around the time that Virginia Gouffre has uh, alleges that these incidents occurred with Prince Andrew, we could see some other big names. Before. We don't know. This is this is a whole new realm of this case because we're going to be seeing discovery. We're going to be seeing. Uh, and what comes out of that that's when both sides really learn about the case. And that's when, as the public, depending on how much is made uh, public, uh, how much we see on the docket, how many documents we see being filed and all of that arguments, we're going to learn a lot about how much proof there is, you know, what, what's out there.
1: Oh, it's going to be so interesting. And I just, if he actually talks I, or, you know, I wonder if, you know, do you see him pleading the fifth a lot? I, I just, I wonder, because he's talked a lot before.
0: Yes, he's talked a lot before. And again, that can all be relevant. But Lauren, yes, you make a point because you're talking about it. You're testifying under oath. That exists for the. Okay, so. I imagine his defense team is going to say that the defense transcripts will be sealed, and there's there's probably a good argument for that whenever you have high profile people mm. or sensitive areas of inquiry, especially when it relates to sexual assault.
1: assault yeah uh,
0: it, that does happen um that deposition t- transcripts are sealed um but they they do come into play during the trial, so um there is a point where at least some of the information in those transcripts could become public. And look, if there's the possibility that he could be charged with a crime, then he would more likely than not plead the fifth. But mm. yours are going to have to advise him. And just so everybody understands, the fifth is your right against self-incrimination. And it's not based on you can't plead the fifth to the whole deposition. It's question to question. Mm-hmm. So possibility and it's a pretty it's pretty broad the right is pretty broad so if there's a possibility that something could implicate him in a crime pleading fifth would be appropriate and the other side can object and a, a court can make a determination about whether or not he has to answer the question and and that's how that process plays out but it's a question to question analysis so he could answer 50 percent of the questions and plead the fifth to 50 percent of the questions mm-hmm. he just how that's going to play out, but the headline to me is that Prince Andrew, we're on track for him to testify at a deposition, we're on track for documents, information, cell phones, pictures, anything that's out (laughs) there is going to be a part of the case.
1: This is going to be this is going to be a big one. We're obviously going to keep following it and keep doing the updates as they come along um, with everything. But there is one other story that I really wanted to get to quickly um, in this episode because another story just broke out from this week. We know that Robert Durst, uh, the man that was charged with killing his best friend Susan Berman, uh, he was just convicted of her murder at the end of last year. He just died earlier this week, um, and I'm sure that everyone remembers this was such a huge trial. This goes back to that explosive HBO documentary, The Jinx, where we thought we heard basically Robert Durst in the bathroom potentially admitting to all of these crimes that he had been um, kind of charged with. And so then we also look at, you know, his wife's Kathy's disappearance has never been solved, Misty. And we just got word that the DA is saying this conviction for Susan Berman could be vacated due to a technicality. So can you explain this to me?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So obviously, we all watched as the Robert Durst drama played out. We saw the jinx. I mean, I was riveted watching oh. the jinx. We know that he's been implicated in, in a variety of other crimes. He was acquitted of one, um, and there's a lot of question marks about that acquittal. Many people question it, right? So,
1: mm-hmm. he's been
0: implicated in a variety of other crimes. Many are looking for him to. Be accountable, and yes, everyone believed that that did happen in the trial where he was found guilty of killing, who was his best friend, Susan Berman, um, and Lauren. Yes, what you said is true, that this murder conviction is going to be vacated, possibly. Oh. Yes. Yeah, so, how does this happen? Oh, I know, and it's it's actually this law has been criticized before, so it's a uh, it's a law in. California, and other states have it as well. So when you're convicted of a crime, you have the opportunity to appeal, right? If any person Mm -hmm. has the opportunity to appeal the case. And in California, until an appeal has been decided by the highest court, so the California Court of Appeals, the decision and that conviction is not finalized. So even (laughs) convicted of in the trial of Susan Verman, lawyers, like in every other case, file appeal. And (sighs) in some cases when you're convicted of a murder, it happens automatically. So in in this case her his lawyers filed the notice of appeal and the appellate process had not had barely begun. The notice of appeal the next second you have appellate attorneys come in, they brief they brief the case it goes to the first, you know, the first court, you know, there's many different avenues of, of relief on appeal. But as far as the state of California, a conviction is not finalized until a decision is rendered by its highest court. So, since the appellate process had been started, but it had not been completed, the conviction is extinguished. It just it's gone. It's-
1: and, that's, and that's kind of just that's that, right? Is there any other argument that could be made?
0: So the law in California has been widely criticized because it's that black and white, Lauren. Wow. That's what it is on the books today. And maybe, it, maybe this situation shines a light on it. But the fact that his death occurred during the pendency of appeal causes it's like it's automatic to, to be mm. and it's a technical rule. Um, And it's it's a very technical rule that just doesn't really have a workaround. There isn't a an exception to it. And it's a very old rule. It's like it's it's common law. So, (sighs) you know, it originates back from the roots in England. It's something that's just kind of one of those rules that's on the books that might not make sense, you know, years, Mm -hmm. years later, but it's still there. And it's been a point of criticism for victims of other crimes, because look. The appellate process—it uh, takes a long time. right. It takes a long time to work through the state appellate process.
1: So, I mean, we're talking about cases that are still going through that. I mean, that you and I have just talked about, like the Peterson cases. I mean, we're talking twenty years. Some of these appeals can sometimes go in cases like.
0: Absolutely. So it's it's wow. um, that can happen because, especially when somebody's serving a, a life sentence. Uh, you you just don't know. And with Durst, his health had been a point of contention throughout mm-hmm. the trial. It had been a point, it had been something that it was raised many, many times. Yes. It had been raised with respect to his incarceration. So his health condition was known. And the reality is that on the books, that conviction is hated. And as I said, it's been something that, um, that victims have, have advocated. Mm-hmm. Against for and victims rights organizations have advocated against because the court has no discretion nothing can be done there's
1: nothing no can exception. be
0: done exception um, and it's it just it remains the rule so it it's not one of those look in the in the legal world I most issues and we talk about them all the time Lauren and I've gone. we've gone through this that there's two sides and both <laughs>
1: Her family still wants to get answers for that, and I know that they have said that they're not going to kind of give up to see if there's any other way to still be able to—co-conspirators or something like that for this case. Yes,
0: so the family family has vowed to identify those who assisted him in either the planning commission or cover-up of the crime.
1: So
0: they have vowed to identify those people and to— And to and to go after them and to continue the investigation and to find those who will be held accountable. So let's loop this back to what we were talking about in Maxwell and Epstein. It's the same type of principle. Mm. It's the same type of principle, because think about it. We had Epstein. We had Epstein died in prison. And then we had uh, Ghislaine Maxwell. Right. Right. as a co-conspirator who's who's charged as a co-conspirator so it's the state yes of finding those who've helped to facilitate the crime Mm -hmm. holding them accountable now with Ghislaine Maxwell Epstein's crimes and Ghislaine Maxwell's crimes she was also charged as an individual and also as part of a conspiracy part of her defense as you know was that she became a target only because Epstein the real wrongdoer had died because he had died Right. Yes, had independent crimes, too. So so she has been, um, you know, she's, she's been found guilty. But it's the same type of concept in that the family is uh, of Karen Berman is not going to let this reversal of the conviction end the day that they're going to keep the pressure on law enforcement to to conduct investigations to find those who helped facilitate the crime and cover up this crime or help with the crime, whatever it might be, his co-conspirators and they, they're they going to seek justice from them. So, look, that's a long road because mm-hmm. there's an investigation that goes into it. But I think that, um, you know, you're going to see a push from law enforcement to not treat the cases cold.
1: Yeah. Because Th- this is this a big one. And I think that Everyone thought that there was finally, you know, it was like the, there was a little bit, a little bit, not all, because, the, you know, his wife is still missing and there's no answers there. But there's a little bit of justice because there was just so much other wrongdoing. But it just it just felt so sad to see the news that maybe, you know, it, that he. it was nice to see that he finally got that conviction and that that might go away. Oh,
0: absolutely. Yeah, I know. A lot of people felt that way. And that's why victims advocacy groups have been. Saying that the maybe maybe the right rule in California, because, look, I I am I am a full proponent and this is our criminal justice system, innocent until proven guilty. Right. And one of one of the fail safes or or, excuse me, one of the uh, mechanisms in our criminal justice system to deal with. Potential issues that arise during trial, whether or not something was prejudicial, whether there was evidence that should have been heard or wasn't heard, whether or not there was jury misconduct. We're talking about all these appellate issues which we're seeing play out and which we're covering in other cases. One of the mechanisms to deal with those and ensure that everybody is is being treated fairly as a defendant and is getting a fair trial is the appellate process where these issues can be heard and convictions can be reversed and new trials can be granted. So it's a critical part of the process. But I think maybe if I were to say, hey, legislature, look at this California statute, maybe carve out a, a, a mechanism where there's some discretion, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, Depending on where you are in the appellate process, depending on, uh, or, or uh, uh, it's some, some form of discretion. To, that
1: yeah. Case by case. It doesn't have to be some, just discretion. one rule.
0: Right. Exactly. Uh, that's maybe that's what, uh, victim that's what victims advocacy groups have said that victims don't have the, you know, look, it's, when, when, when someone you love is a victim of a crime, the, you know, your family and friends, you're never going to feel whole, but you can at least have the closure of somebody paying for it, right? That you know, right. that there's been, um, that justice has been served. So understandable that her family is not happy with this right. rule. Sounds like, look, the prosecutor came out and said, it doesn't change that what what we know? What we know is guilty. So uh, see if this case continues to unfold, hey, look, yep. well, during the course of an investigation, uh, maybe we find out more.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we'll definitely keep our eye on this. And you and I also are going to be doing a special episode because, as we kind of mentioned a little bit, is Drew Peterson is back in court next week, which is a huge deal. Um, So we're going to do an episode where we kind of recap that whole case. That is obviously the former sergeant who was charged in his third uh, wife's death and his fourth wife, Stacey Peterson, had gone missing. So that's going to be a huge one that's going to be coming back uh, into court next week and so Misty we're going to be all over that one.
0: We will be all over it and we will bring you all of the details of what happens in court and we've got a bunch of other stories that we're going to be covering so Lauren we will be spending a lot of time together.
1: Yes lots of big ones this year looking forward to talking about them all
0: with you and with our audience as
1: well. Yes
0: thank you so much for tuning in everybody.
1: All right thank you so much for listening to The Legal Brief we'll talk to you guys soon.